The following is not intended for younger time travelers. The opinions expressed do not reflect the views of the podcaster's employers. Now, set your flux capacitors, hop into your telephone booths, because at 88 miles an hour, you're about to embark on an excellent adventure! Welcome everyone to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films, and that is all we do. I am Dude One, Richard. Dude Two, Joe. And, yeah, no, I thought I had something to say after that, but I I don't. (laughs) It It just all came out. As it always does. It's also 11 in the morning, so I'm still kind of waking up. It's 11 in the morning uh, on... (laughs) uh, In the middle of the week, I'm just like, huh? What? I was going to say, it's a a Wednesday morning, you know, and you're just like, oh, this is... Man, I forget how early this is for you sometimes. Yeah, I I am definitely... I've become more of a morning person because of the pandemic i think i've just been wanting to get up in the morning more so at least there's that i'm i'm here Mm -hmm. so i'm happy i'm happy to be here and i'm glad you're here thank you thank you i i'm glad to be here too um but anyway how are you dude too you know what i'm uh i'm doing all right you know i've uh you know been watching some movies and i watched pixar soul which i think is very good and uh, because of that, I have decided that I'm going to revisit all of the Pixar movies. All of the Pixar movies? Like every single one? All the feature films. All the feature films. No shorts. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no shorts. Um, you know, I, I, I just want to try to make it easy on myself. I'm trying to watch all the features. So, you know, everything from Toy Story, Toy Story through Soul, all I think 23 of uh, Pixar's feature-length movies, and uh, that includes stuff that I really have either only seen bits and pieces of or have never seen before. Like, I've never sat through Brave. I've never sat through Cars 3. Um, Monsters University have only really seen, like, out-of-context clips of here and there. But And it's also exciting to rewatch or get the opportunity to rewatch stuff I haven't seen in a while, like Up and, uh, you know, a few others like that. Are you emotionally ready to get through a lot of these movies? Like, do you have a box of tissues and and, and some kind of, like, like, is someone watching them with you for emotional support? Well, my brother Mike is wa- watching uh, most of them with me. He, he watched uh, Toy Story 1 and 2 with me and A Bug's Life. And let me t- let me tell you, Toy Story two 
every scene I either want to laugh or cry because it's either really, really funny or it's a, or a reminder of like, man, it's been over like 20 years since this movie came out. And also just like, there's like an emotional, like gut wrenching feelings in some of the scenes as well. You know, it's just a, it's a perfect movie in my book. It's, it's a great, it's great stuff. Nice. I, you know what? I actually haven't sat down and watched all the Toy Story movies in a while. I mean, I watched the fourth one recently. Uh, just, I think just cause I was watching like newer movies that I had or something. I don't know why, but I just remember watching the fourth one. I think it's because I'd only ever seen it once in theaters. And I mean, I have the Blu-ray, but I just never like sat down and watched it, which I always thought was kind of weird. Like, you know, I own this movie now. Like, might as well just watch it. Right. Other that, I might have to do that at some point. But I'm I, that's an exciting uh, that's an exciting endeavor because there's definitely some I just absolutely outstanding uh, movies that Pixar has made like you know so many classics Wall-E is one of my favorites Coco is probably my favorite Pixar movie of all time and I really dug Soul um, you know the more because like I I need to watch it again but the more I think about it the more I'm like yeah this is actually this is actually pretty dope so. That's exciting. I'm excited for you. Even if I know that you might be emotionally drained at some point. Dude, it, it's, um, man, it, how many, like, home run movies that Pixar has made and sometimes we kind of take it for granted, you know? Like, you think about Inside Out, you know, uh, the fir- especially the first three Toy Story movies, I would say. Wally, Up, Monsters, Inc., Soul is another great one. I think, like, at least at the start with Pixar, they were always like, you know, anytime I talked to like to any of my film friends or any, any just like just any of my friends in general, whenever we talked about Pixar for the longest time, pretty much everything, most everything pre toy story three was like, Oh, Pixar's the greatest. They can't do no wrong. And then like they started doing more sequels and kind of franchising some of their stuff after a while. And they started make like, they started making some things that weren't nearly as good. And it's, so I think I think maybe the opinion has changed a little bit, but even now they're still making great movies, and I think they're starting to circle back a little bit because a lot of the more recent movies have been really really good and and have kind of went <clears throat> excuse me has kind of went back to like it almost feels like they kind of went back to be like okay let's just let's just make original movies and that's it. I mean, we'll do a sequel every now and then, but let's just make original stuff. So we got like Coco and Soul and Inside Out and you know, all these movies are great and they're and they touch on fundamental aspects of life, which you don't see a lot in kids' movies. Again, like we were talking about with How to Train Your Dragon, that sense of emotional maturity that you don't really get in a lot of kids' movies that make them kind of resonate with everybody more than just kids. And so I a hundred and ten percent commend them. And at the same time, I thoroughly enjoy a lot of their more recent stuff. Yeah, absolutely. For sure, for sure. But but how does Dude 1 doing? Yesterday, I had a kind of a crap day. Or at least it started off bad. I just was really aggravated. I had a headache and my nose was running. And thankfully, it, nothing else happened. So I'm pretty sure it wasn't COVID. But it's just sinuses. And I just wasn't really in the right mood. And... I went to work and I brought that mood with me. So I, I'm sure I pissed some people off at work and I do apologize to those people. But I also like part of my job is I have to like, I'm not like a boss, but I am in charge 
of a lot of things. So I kind of have to tell people what to do. And so when you're in that position and when your coworkers like jokingly, mind you, jokingly say like, you know, oh, why do I have to do this? You know, why can't you make someone else do it? Like it, like normally I just play it off, but like it was kind of getting on my nerves, admittedly, just because I was having a bad day and just my brain was all scrambled. I don't know. I, I did feel bad for how that played out, but yeah, it's, yesterday wasn't, yesterday didn't start off too great, but it did lead to greater things, which we'll talk about um, later on in the show, but now I'm, I'm content. I'm like, you know what? I don't feel near, I don't have a headache. My nose is clear, which doesn't, which hadn't, hasn't happened often during this pandemic because, you know, I don't know why. I think, I think it's because I cleaned recently. Though, one really, really cool thing happened to me, and I have to kind of tiptoe around this because it, I, I, could, I could potentially mess this up if I tell it wrong. But you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. I do want to tell the story, but I just have to do it carefully. Probably more careful than me talking about family photos and, and how they upset me and how I know my family would be like, What?! <laughs> I still love you guys. So, okay. There's an old movie that I absolutely love. And I've been dying for the company that owns this movie to release a modern Blu-ray. Not necessarily even a restored modern Blu-ray, but a modern Blu-ray nonetheless. And for years, I'd been like, okay, when is this happening? When is this happening? And no one else could release it because no one else has the rights to this movie. So... Eventually, uh, earlier on this year, it was announced, I think, was it like October or something? Because I think you saw it first. I might have seen, I, I know I tried, I think I tagged you in that when I, when I f found out about this news. Yeah. So it was like earlier on and I got super excited and the thing was by this point, I, I wasn't working near as much. I still, I'm still not working near as much, but I wasn't working as much, so I couldn't really afford it, but I really, really wanted it. So I did pre-order it. However, I decided to cancel the pre-order and uh, instead I decided to use the money I was going to use on that to buy you a Christmas present because I love you and you're my buddy. Oh, and what did you get by the way? This is like a side note. What was the gift that you got for Christmas from Dude One? Well, I'm holding holding this guy right now, holding a Wampa. I decided this is a Wampa, by the way. Like you can get these in Galaxy's Edge and Disneyland or Disney World, and it's very fuzzy, lovable. This guy's name is Zabumafu. That's why I decided to name him Zabumafu. Just like in case you don't know the reference, uh, it's a an amazing and fun kid show from our youth. In which uh, these two explorers um, hang out with a with a puppet lemur, and we learn about animals. And and we, what's how does it, how does the lyrics go? We, we do, we're well, doing the things in that the woods animals one day. do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chris and Martin saw something strange. A little <laughs> leaping leader like the bounce. The no, Joey, 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 yeah, Joey, 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 hey. Joey. Not too much. Not not too much. Not too much. We don't own the rights. <laughs> you're tiptoeing around I, something i feel like is is playing with fire and i'm trying to have a good time <laughs> this is something for pbs too i mean how mad Bro, is pbs like gonna be that I'm, uh, viewers like listeners like you thank you <laughs> well you know what yeah you got a good point anyway 
Actually, so, you know what? Actually, you know what? Uh, no, you know what? On that side note, you had aggravated me for the longest time. What? It's, uh, this is this uh, total tangent, but like, happy birthday for the longest time was under copyright. I don't know if anybody, like, it recently got into the public domain, but when I worked for this one, I used to work, you know, in, in like service. So whenever there was like a happy birthday thing, you couldn't sing happy birthday. And I always found that to be just like the lamest thing ever. And it was just like, happy birthday, happy birthday. And I'm like, I'm like this, I'm not feeling this at all. And sometimes I would just leave and I'm like, no, I'm not singing this. I'm, I'm not. I'm done with this. You know what though? You got to appreciate the creativity. Some of these like places like restaurants and stuff that have to do this. You got to appreciate um, how they're able to like come up with their own version like even like I think I think of like Futurama, where literally the entire reason why they had to come up with their new birthday song was because they couldn't use the actual birthday song. So they have their own one, and it's it's still really good. So I do agree, but at the same time, I do appreciate the creativity that people that people uh, came like as far as coming up with new versions of it. So I'll say that. I'll say that and just being devil's advocate a little bit. That's fair, but I don't want to waste the whole show talking about happy birthday. Keep talking <laughs> about your story. I'm sorry. You know, but, you know, fun fact, we can sing happy birthday at some point. So whenever our birthday comes out, we'll sing the whole song. There you go. We'll sing it. You can hold me to that. But but anyway, so I decided to use the money, buy, the, buy you the Galaxy's Edge Wampa, which um, is... I, w- I was very happy because I hadn't seen it in person, but it looks great. I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe if I put this on a Christmas list or make it a suggestion that maybe I can get it for Christmas and then I'll just leave it at that or just get it later on because I know it'll be available. And that was kind of the last I thought of it. And I knew I wasn't going to see much more of it until probably December 1st or early December around there. Now, jump to the day before Christmas Eve. I'm actually getting ready to go to work. I think, I think, no, actually, it might have been a couple of days before Christmas Eve. So, yeah, it was Tuesday. And I was told that I got uh, something in the mail. And I was like, I don't remember ordering anything. And I thought maybe it was um, a gift from, like to me for Christmas from my parents or from my sister or whoever. And uh, I was like, maybe I shouldn't open it. But uh, it was addressed to me. And so I was like, okay, this is interesting. So I opened it. And it was the movie. And I was like, what? Hold on. (laughs) And so I had to double check. Um, I didn't... I got my money back from the pre-order. I had to ask a bunch of people if they got it for me. None of them got it for me. Or at least someone's lying and no one has said anything yet. I'm going to say on air, I did not get it for Richard. You were definitely someone I thought of too. Because I was like, wait, the only other person I could think of is Joey. But I don't think he... Because he already got me a birthday present. I don't think he would get me a Christmas present. (laughs) Everybody gets one a year. (laughs) So, um, I, I was just like, did I just get a free movie? Like, this is... Mind you, this is like, like at least a... 30 30 some dollar purchase that they accidentally sent to me because i was one of the initial pre-orders even i'm sure even though i canceled it so long story short as an early christmas present to myself in some capacity i got the movie that i've been wanting for a very long time possibly for free so 
again, I'm not saying where it came from or what the movie was, but I am happy that it happened. <laughs> and I, I'm very happy that this uh, serendipitous event occurred to you. I told, I actually told John, our composer, the story, and he was like, oh, I wanted that to happen to me. <laughs> it's like, one, one day, John, one day it will definitely happen to you. I'm telling you. But other than that, you know, that was, that's like the highlight. I said, that was like the highlight of my, uh, of my last few weeks, um, outside of just watching, you know, other movies here and there. But that was by far the highlight of my, of my weeks. That's good. All I gotta, I gotta say though, is that with all these, with all these stories that we talked about from the past few weeks, we're going to travel back in time. One might say back to the future? Question mark. Well, you know, Joey, as you know, <laughs> I, I I'm pretending to be uh, like a like a cultural anthro like anthropologist or something. Like, well, Joey, as you know, uh, in cinema, uh, <laughs> time travel is a very a, a very well utilized plot device in various films. <laughs> I'm gonna stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, time travel 110% is is something that it, movies love to use. I mean, recently it's just started um, showing up in superhero movies, and like Avengers Endgame, Deadpool 2, the new Flash movie we've been hearing is going to incorporate some sense of time travel. Like all types of all types of movies um, and genre movies and stuff have used this as a plot device, and so. Today, on the show, we are focusing on two movies that very much uh, sport this particular plot device. And the first one we're talking about is by far the most iconic, the most beloved, the most treasured amongst time travel movies. And we're talking about, of course, the 1985 Robert Zemeckis classic, Back to the future. Joey! DeLorean noises. No! <laughs> DeLorean noises scare me! You punch a Tady 8 and I scream and run away! Oh, <laughs> man. So, yeah, Back to the Future, definitely, definitely at least as far as the last couple, last couple of decades, because this movie is, what, 35, 35 years old now? It's got to be 35 years old. 35 years, almost 36, yeah, so... This movie is is certainly like when you think of time travel and you think of like a time machine, probably what comes out of like you know eight or nine times out of tens ten from people's minds is the DeLorean from uh, this movie. But the funny thing is like you know, and I think this gonna like kind of steer us towards like what a lot of this discussion is for both movies is that yes, this is like a science. It is a science fiction story. You know, the idea of time travel. You have scientists. You have you have you know people using plutonium one point twenty one gigawatts and all that, but at its core, it is a teen comedy. It's not just that; it is a eighties teen comedy, and 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 eighties teen comedies incorporated some truly insane concepts, like just stuff like stuff that you might not necessarily think about. They just throw it on the screen. Like you almost kind of appreciate it a little bit. It does. It does cause a sense of risk where, like, maybe you're doing things that don't age very well, but you're still going for it, and I kind of appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but 
Back to the Future, as you said, 1985, directed by Robert Zemeckis. And he co-wrote this with Bob Gale. You know, that guy that directed one of your favorite movies, Forrest Gump. Richard. <laughs> no. <laughs> what? Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. I love you, Jenny. I like Bubba Gump. That that's like yeah. I have a, I have some fond memories going to to the one in uh, in New York. Um, the, the chicken there was was really good, but that that's as far as it goes. As far as positive <laughs> memories of Forrest Gump. You know what? That's kind. Of, I will say this much in regards to Robert Zemeckis is that his career, like he's he's tried a whole bunch of different things, but I don't know. Maybe it's just. I don't, like, I don't know how other people feel like this, but as far as, like, his more recent efforts and, you know, most of his, most of the movies he's made during my lifetime, save for a few, I don't think I'm necessarily a massive fan. Like, I want, he had the Witches movie that came out this year, which I was really excited to see, but that one was a disappointment, even. Yeah, he, Robert Zemeckis has had a very, very interesting uh, career in Hollywood, and before, like, back to the, like, when they were trying to, like, shop back to the future around it was rejected by a number of studios you know and part of that was because you know some of his previous work didn't do so well like if i'm not mistaken he helped or like i think him or bob gale or whatever they helped write 1941 which was like spielberg's first flop mm -hmm. and you know the fact that they were you know that they were given this level of like trust to, to handle something like this um, is kind of is kind of crazy and is something that definitely probably would not happen today. <laughs> no, it would. It, oh my god, no. Yeah, it's it's. We were talking about this last night, kind of like you know, like I think about like Zack Snyder's career a little bit and all the stuff he's able to achieve, and most even now, most directors don't get the opportunities he gets. And so it's it's pretty insane, like, how things end up playing out, especially given other people that are involved. Plus, you have to remember, the like, one of the major plot elements of this movie is basically uh, an incestual relationship possibility. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And... When, when you see that in a script that, you know, you know, mom's got the hots for her kid, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Hold up, no, what, what did I just read? <laughs> like, she's, she's like, gonna be with him and not his dad? What? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, boy. Does this, wait, this doesn't lead to, like, like, you know, no, intercourse, does it? Because if it does, then we got to sell it as a different movie. <laughs> but what's funny is I remember, I, I remember like watching one of the bonus features for Back to the Future many years ago, and they were talking about like all the studios that rejected it, and the one studio that th there was only one studio that like really objected to that co very concept. And as you could probably guess, you don't need me to say it, but it's Di it was Disney, which is understandable. <laughs> what it was Disney? Yeah, it was Disney. It makes sense. <laughs> you know, because there are other, there are other like teen comedies and things that were more, you know, they might not have had like a relationship like that, but they were probably more outlandish and had maybe more explicit things going on. You know, I think, I think about the breakfast club and, you know, some of the stuff that goes on in that, in that movie or, you know, 
was it Last American Virgin? Literally, that the t- there's a movie called Last, Last American, American Virgin. Virgin. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like these are, and they were all like, you know, movies of the of the eighties and all that. You know, I I've, I don't remember what year they all came out, but still, like, just to give you an idea of like Back to the Future in comparison to those, like, seemed more wholesome, I guess, or at least in execution. Because I mean, on paper, in I execution, could definitely yeah. And, and and on paper you can definitely be like this seems a bit like this like wow <laughs> you're really going for this aren't you like yeah we think it'll be good yeah. we think it'll be what mm-hmm. yeah what's the problem what's the what's what's going on but it's it really does like for for some of the like crazy ideas and that's something we were talking about watching this like this movie has some wild ideas they all somehow pay off so well that like yeah you feel those weird ideas but you feel it in the way that the movie wants you to feel them which is always like the best thing mm-hmm. you want from a movie is like you just, like anytime Lorraine and Marty in the 50s were on screen together it was the most awkward uncomfortable but also hysterical experience like the first time they meet he's sitting at the dinner table with them and he's going through his different things and she's and the one part she's like he can sleep in my room and then like grabs his leg you're like son of a stop it! <laughs> <laughs> like, like he even jumps up but even so you're still like lorraine stop it that is your kid that is your boy <laughs> But you know what? Let, let's let's move away a little bit from from that angle because yeah, it it is definitely a big angle. But I think one of the the big things with this too is like as we say with the execution. But a big big part of this is the screenplay. The screenplay I have to say is might be one of the best like major Hollywood production like screenplays because as I was saying, you, you think like science fiction and all that, but it's it, like we said, it's an eighties teen comedy, but it's very very well written you know like the stuff that is on the page and they're able to get you know out of it is is really some really good stuff like i one of my favorite moments is when marty is talking to doc and he's like oh man this is heavy and doc's like there's that word again again. heavy heavy heavy. did something happen with earth's gravitational pull or something (laughs) (laughs) and and if we're talking scripts too you have to you have to talk about this is something we mentioned, um, I'm pretty sure, with like the Paddington episode and some of the other episodes that we've done. The, this idea of like setup and payoff. You know, this movie has so many perfect, casual, but like perfect setups that eventually get paid off later. Every, everything gets paid off later. Like something as simple as the, con- the t- continuing running joke in the entire trilogy that Uncle Joey... Sorry, Joey. Uh, <laughs> that Uncle Joey is still in prison <laughs> and like the first time we hear about it um is you know he's he's in prison he didn't make parole and the next time next time we meet him in the 50s he's a baby but he's still in his crib <laughs> so just like something simple like that it's just a, an amazing amazing payoff or like anytime um Lorraine when she's an adult mentions like you know I would never sit in a parked car with a boy or go chasing a boy she does all of that <laughs> she's a wildcat or uh, anything and of course anything relating to the clock tower they set up you know save the save the save the clock you know at the beginning they talk about the talk about enchantment under the sea 
and you know all of that and that that is ultimately you know what has to help marty get back to the future is is all of that with you know relating to the clock tower and the 1.21 gigawatts and you know you can't just go into like a dr- local drugstore and buy plutonium like <laughs> i don't know what it's like in 1985 but in 1955 it's a little harder to come by <laughs> oh no but but like speaking of like the, the humor where it's just like all right if, if you're from 1985 future boy well who's the president <laughs> ronald reagan the actor Ronald, Ronald Reagan? Reagan, the actor <laughs> who's the vice president, Jerry Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> also speaking was, like Jack. Yeah. I'll say also speaking of the clock tower, can we also give a moment uh, to the clock tower lady who unfortunately passed away this year? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cause like it's a brief moment, but she's such an integral part of the whole movie. So it's, it's, it's sad that she's, that she's passed, but she'll, she she will be the clock tower lady forever and she will be as important an element as pretty much everything else in back to the future absolutely um absolutely for sure and also too i mean it's it's all well and good if you have a good screenplay and if you have a good idea but you got to have i think you really got to have a good cast to execute that and this cast this cast oh brother i mean okay just at the top just at the top you have Michael J. Fox. Now, I'm pretty sure a lot of people have heard the story, but in case you haven't, fun fact, Michael J. Fox was not originally cast in this movie. They wanted him. Like, he was the first choice, but he was doing Family Ties at the time. And so, mm-hmm. and that and that happens all the time in, in Hollywood. Like, you know, so many, so many actors are written for certain roles and so many things would have probably been great. Like, I think of Adam Sandler. He was supposed to be... Uh, the Bear Jew in Inglorious Bastards. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, like like Tarantino actually wrote the role for Adam Sandler, but he instead, I think he went and did um, Funny People instead, which I get because you know, okay, Judd Apatow and him are like really close friends, and honestly, that was like one of the better movies, so I'm I'm happy he did it. But um, mm-hmm. it would have been interesting to have seen him in that role. I, I did like Eli Roth, though. It's it's one of the few times I actually like something that Eli Roth has done in the world of movies. <laughs> but um, I think about that all the time. And, of, and of course, as we know, you know, it, nothing ever planned paid out with that. But with, with Michael J. Fox, they wanted him for Marty. And they couldn't have him because they were busy. Or he was busy, pardon me. And so they decided to instead cast another actor who has actually worked with Tarantino in Pulp Fiction, uh, Eric Stoltz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, who oddly, who oddly enough, like I recently watched a time travel movie with him in it, and it was a terrible movie. Don't watch it. It's called The Butterfly Effect. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just don't do it. It's really, it's really upsetting. I'm, I'm staying away from it. Please do. Um, though I know a lot of uh, a lot of my fellow millennials would probably disagree with me because I know I I feel like a lot of people probably really liked it, but you know, it wasn't for me. Um, point is, Eric Stoltz was supposed to be Marty McFly for a hot second, and they even filmed a ton of stuff with him. And you know they, they you know everyone was like, yeah, he's fine, but at the same time, it just didn't have it didn't have the magic. You know, it didn't have no. that level of just beauty and and like the the way that marty mcfly and doc should have and so they got lucky that they were able to work something out with family ties and they got michael j fox and the rest is history 
because this movie doesn't work without the perfect Marty McFly, and he is, in fact, the perfect Marty McFly. And, you know, it's one of those things, too, where we talk, like, we talked about this while we were watching Back to the Future, like, you know, when you watch movies about high school kids, and they'll get people who look like they're in their 30s. Grease. Grease. (laughs) 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 Though I do like when you say, like, you know what, I think it makes sense because it's just John Travolta still in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's just there. He's just just there, you know. Like, he's the right age, it's just he he happens to just still be in high school. Yeah. For sure, absolutely. But uh, what I liked about like Michael J. Fox and a lot of the you know a lot of the characters in this movie is that I do believe that they are in high school. Like I, I'm able to like say, yeah, that that would make that makes sense. That I don't have to stretch my disbelief too far to to make that you know to make that jump. I guess I agree with that 100. percent You know, again, I don't I don't really know how old they were when the movie was made. Do you know? Um, you know, let me, uh, cause movie, movie came out 85. Michael J. Fox was like in his mid twenties when they were, when they were filming. Okay. You know, but again, he has like such, like, like he has such a, like a face, like a baby face almost that I could totally like see him as somebody in high school. A hundred percent. The only one that really kind of stretches a little bit is Tom Wilson as Biff. Cause he looks a little bit older. But even then, like the the way because he's surrounded by all these other people who look so young, especially because and I think it works to the movie's benefit that when we first meet them, they're like in old makeup, and so they're meant to look like they're significantly older than they are. So when we meet them in this mo- so when we first meet them, they're old. But then when we meet them, they're immediately like super, super, super young, and so it it helps create that illusion that like the la- the next time you see them, they look younger. So. I feel like it kind of helped the movie out a little bit because, like, I think if it was the other way around, uh, we probably wouldn't. We probably would have been like, you know, Leah Thompson, Crispin Glover, kind of look a little old. But no, it <laughs> it it, it, it kind of works out. It does work out um, for sure. But you know, going off of that, like, I think everybody works out, and like the you know Marty Marty works out. Um, but you got to have a great doc, and boy howdy, Christopher Lloyd. I mean, can we just appreciate? The majesty, the magic, the magical nature that is Christopher Lloyd. The man has been has given us so many iconic roles and so many iconic moments on film with his like kind of crazy, like theatrical, like wildness and you know characters like uh like Doc Brown, obviously, or you know, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is another like classic Zemeckis pairing and team up. Um, which we definitely will be doing at some point on the show, guaranteed. Oh man, just again, so many, so many uh, great performances, and without a doubt, Doc Brown is top tier, top tier. Yeah, like because he he just has so many like great moments. Like he and Marty's banter t- with each other is great. Like I was alluding to earlier with like you know heavy like that that scene is is great. Or when he's trying to like when he's waiting for Marty, he's like damn, dun dun dun, dun damn. Damn, 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 damn! <laughs> oh, dude, like no one has a better like scene entrance than Christopher Lloyd. Like he just immediately like he'll spring a door open and he'll just have the the most wild face, just like <laughs> like the he he's so good. 
And everything he does oh is my god! <laughs> I love the scene where, like, speaking of that scene where he has, like, that, that mind reader thing on his head. And, like, Marty, like, it just seriously explains what the hell is going on. And he's like, do you know what this means? This means this thing doesn't work! <laughs> he's like, but, my, my oh, boy, man. do you know what this means? <laughs> this means that this <laughs> damn thing doesn't work at all! Or oh my god! I always, I always, every now and then, I'll still like say stuff like, you know, once this baby hits eighty-eight miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. <laughs> Doc, Doc and Marty, it's it's such a it, it's such a great you know pairing of characters. Oh, I know what I was gonna say. I was gonna say um, early in the movie we see all the clocks and stuff, and there's like a nice little nod to Harold Lloyd's Harold Lloyd's Safety Last, which is a famous silent comedy where the climax of that movie. Harold Lloyd is hanging off of a clock on a really tall building, and it there, you get that called back at the end of the movie, where Doc Brown is, of course, hanging off the the Hill Valley like clock tower. I mean, and can we also say like this movie has the perfect setup opening and the perfect like payoff ending? Like the book ends for this movie, like the whole movie is perfect, really. But the book ends, especially like the way it ends and the way it starts is absolutely perfect when we get that whole setup and it's and i was listening to this on uh, in this like little special documentary that came with the 30th anniversary set of the trilogy um when they were doing test screenings and you have that opening scene it in any other movie they would have gotten more right to it but it's so slow and it paces so much just to show you all of the stuff that is incredibly important you have to pay attention to what you're seeing you know, seeing stuff about Doc and seeing this mess and seeing the fact that, you know, Doc is clearly the kind of guy that is, like, focused on the work. He's That's why he needs someone like Marty. Even though it's never explicitly said, he's more than likely his lab assistant. That's, like, his job. And so, like, but it's just so slow. And so, like, a lot of audiences, at least at that opening scene, were very restless, especially young people. Like, teens were very restless because they were like, all right, can we get to something? Can we get to something? And so um, I, I think some of the producers were actually like, like, cause we were they were watching the screening with these kids, and they were getting pissed. They were like, cause the kids wouldn't stop talking. <laughs> like, just, we we worked so hard in this damn movie. Just sit and watch it, you freaks. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but and and you were talking about the bookends. The bookends too. Like the end of the movie. It's so funny because they didn't know they were going to get a sequel. They just that was they just thought it was gonna be a fun ending. They just was like, you know what? Let's let's just leave off on this little cliffhanger and we'll see what happens. But you know, it just means they're gonna keep going on adventures. But it turns out, nah fam, they're getting a whole trilogy of movies. They're gonna be going to the future. They're gonna be going to the past. They're gonna be stuck in the old west time. They're gonna be stuck here and there. It's in, and they just came up with just crazy ideas there too. Oh yeah, for, I mean, just to put it in perspective to like the success of this movie, because I I find it just um, astonishing. Um, like this movie, like the original the original release of this movie, it cost the movie cost nineteen million dollars. Okay, movie worldwide in nineteen in nineteen eighty five uh, may earned two hundred twenty two million worldwide. Boom. Boom. 222 million <laughs> worldwide, which you have to, uh, you know, if you just for ni- 1985 is a hell of a lot of money. 
you know, and with all of its releases put together, it's earned like a worldwide thing of like $381 million. So it's, it's definitely one of those where it, it has had a long, a very long and lengthy and healthy shelf life as a movie. I mean, I've, I know for a fact that I've purchased this movie at least three times in my life. Because like they, I, I, I bought, and it was always the sets too. I don't know if I ever bought any of the movies individually, but I don't know if the movies are really available individually. Now that I'm thinking about it, but um, I got like the one that you have, like the the 25th anniversary edition that came out a while ago. I have, I currently have the um, 30th anniversary edition steelbook that I got from Target, which was released in 2015 because. Um, as you know, like everything in the movie, uh, at this point officially, uh, takes place in the past for us. It's 2021 and, uh, the movie's future scenes take place in 2015. And so on, like, I don't know, I don't know if you remember this. I mean, I know you remember this, Joey, but I don't know if you guys, the listeners remember this, but in 2015, um, October 21st, they did an entire, like, Back to the Future celebration to celebrate on the day that Marty McFly actually went back to, or actually went to the future in the se- in the sequel in the in part two, and so they played all three movies in theaters. They released like new trailers for like Jaws nineteen and the Hoverboard. They um, uh, Pepsi was going to release, uh, and this was a whole like messed up debacle, but uh, they released a bottle of co- of Pepsi that looks just like the bottle that Marty drinks in the film. <clears throat> I think Nike a couple of years earlier Nike actually released uh like a pre like a like a like a prototype maybe I guess as they advertise for model of the Back to the Future shoes which I think they tried to actually make the Powerlace shoes in 2015. I I like obviously we don't have Powerlace shoes so they didn't succeed, but it was still a cool concept nonetheless. But either way, I, I have that set. And uh, this year, I believe, they finally released the trilogy in 4K for, uh, I think, the 35th anniversary set. Yeah. So, like, these movies are just going to get re-released year after year after year. Uh, everyone involved is just, they're set for life. <laughs> like, they're good. Dude, they, they've been set for a while. And you know what I like, too, is that with a lot of the, the uh, each release, it feels like they actually add new stuff to the to the bonus features and that doesn't always happen with like legacy titles like it feels like okay after a certain point we're gonna stop adding new bonus features it's just gonna be the same archival bonus features maybe a new transfer of the movie but back to the future they keep adding stuff you know and one thing i want to touch on too with back to the future is like there used to be a ride at universal back to the future the ride and if you have like the back to the future blu-ray set you can actually watch the ride because it was it was a motion simulator oh you know so you can actually like experience the ride at home and the some of the pre-show stuff which is actually pretty cool and fairly unique honestly because most theme park attractions as you've been to, you've been to disney world a lot of theme park attractions are you're physically moving through a space you know so you don't always like unless it's like a, something on youtube or whatever you don't get like official like streams or whatever of like theme park rides so it's a very unique um sort of thing so what you're telling me is that we could have had a, a small, fun theme park experience that at home during a pandemic and I didn't remember. Is that what you're telling me? Is that what you're telling me right now? I could have been doing the Back to the Future ride 
that the entire yeah damn it joey damn damn (laughs) (laughs) oh but you know and and then i just want to also briefly touch on to the music by uh by alan silvestri oh my god like that's just another like this is something that they brought up on the documentary too like when you think of other movies like especially in the 80s that have this kind of a plot where it's like a teen comedy that has like a science fictiony twist you know and um, and it's something like like in our in our second movie that we're talking about where it doesn't have that same feeling because of the music but the music in this feels like it was put pulled straight from like an Indiana Jones movie or like an adventure movie you know like like it's got this like iconic score that like it in a way it doesn't necessarily fit typically what you would assume like a like a teen comedy type situation but with this it makes it elevates things so much and it like brings it so much stronger yeah it's i, I like to think of it as like the best score from this time period that John Williams did not write yes cuz it does have that feeling about it in the best possible way and this also goes back to like the end of the movie because the end of the movie like at least compared to like big budget things today is very small scale but i kind i kind of had like a more of an emotional reaction to it because you're just you're just really wanting marty to get back to 1985 and like the car the car isn't really starting and you're just like oh man come on everything goes wrong everything at your seat and you've You've seen this movie like 30 times and you're still just like, come on, Marty. <laughs> I th- That was basically what we were doing. Doc's pl- trying to plug things in. The storm's going on. You're trying to hit it at the exact, like, uh, what was the time that they say in Back to the Future? I- I'm embarrassed that that I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, the- yeah, I don't remember either, so it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's like 10.04 or something, like something rid- ridiculous like that. The only thing I remember... The only thing I remember, uh, as far as time, at least it just popped into my head, and I'm only saying this because uh, our dear friend uh, Alex Wykey, who's this is basically his favorite movie. Um, he, I quote this with him all the time. Wait, wait a minute, Doc. Are you telling me that it's eight twenty-five? Precisely. Damn, I'm late for school. And power of love is. Um is a great song by the way like it's a great movie song <laughs> <laughs> no dude i still sing it to this very day power of love and um back in time which is the other huey lewis uh, song and i'm surprised it took us this long can we talk about his cameo that cameo is a lot of fun <laughs> like like that a, is a lot of fun just the brief moment he's in the movie is still like one of the best cameos ever and just the fact that like he's um, he's in a, uh, a school auditorium and he's judging Marty McFly's music talent. And he just goes, I'm afraid you're just too darn loud. Next, please. Oh, so I just want to talk about like the award stuff. Cause the awards don't always matter, but it is kind of fascinating when you, when you just realize what kind of awards this thing, like this move, this movie, obviously this movie won for best sound effects and it was nominated for best song for power of love and best screenplay and just best sound in general but at the golden globes it was nominated for best picture musical or comedy and best actor for um michael j fox musical or comedy wow so it's it's like it actually it actually was like an awards contender on some level that i you know what i didn't know that actually 
But again, like like you're saying, like you know, it's not like something. Admittedly, with classic movies, I either assume the awards snubbed it, and so it just became a classic to us, or like it was like a big awards darling at some point, or like I just, I I don't know. I, I've never really thought of that, so I did actually I never knew that. So that's pretty cool. No, I, yeah, I was about to say, like, I knew, like, obviously, like, the technical stuff and maybe screenplay, but, like, to get some stuff at the Golden Globes, too, like, for this kind of movie, it actually, that's actually pretty interesting, but this whole, the whole, the whole cast is, is, is so good. I want to mention Crispin Glover. I don't know if we mentioned him too much in this episode. Yeah, we, I, we really do need to mention him because as great, he's amazing as George McFly, and um, he's, admittedly, if, if there's someone that's had someone of bad blood when it comes to the history of back to the future no pun intended or not it's not really a pun why did i say that um point is he's had a pretty rough history with this series because as you guys know or maybe don't know um he's one of the few actors from the original film that never showed up in the sequel even if his character does and a lot of that is because um you know, rumor has, like, you know, like, Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis and everyone would be like, oh, he wanted more money. And Crispin Glover, I think, went on record to say, like, he was getting paid significantly less than Leah Thompson and uh, Tom Wilson, who were basically in the movie oh, wow. about as much. And then on top of that, like, he was very displeased by the fact that they took um, some of his um, old man makeup that was made specifically for him and then they put it on another actor and he just wasn't a fan of the performance that that actor gave and he actually was talking about um, how at one point they initially wanted the ending to end with like a monetary reward like like the whole I'm assuming maybe it has to do with the whole sports almanac thing and he brought it, he brought it into question and they ultimately changed that ending but if that is true, but um, apparently, like, according to Chris Glover, Robert Zemeckis got, like, pissed off at him. And so, like, it caused, like, tension. But, um... Oh, wow. I never, I never knew about this, like, the, the, the almanac stuff, though. That, I, I knew, I figured, I knew, figured about, like, like, the pay, the pay stuff with, like, compared to the other actors, but that's actually, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I'm, again, this is just Crispin Glover's account of the story, and I don't necessarily know what is and what isn't true but if that is the case and you know i am glad that they changed it because you know that was kind of the whole point of of marty Mc, of uh doc being like this is why are you doing this and then like if the whole movie kind of went against like the smartest guy in the movie like what are you doing but ultimately like all of these elements came together the acting the direction for robert zemeckis the screenplay that he co-wrote with bob gale the special effects the music all these pieces came together to what is, I think, is one of the most like perfect like Hollywood movies that we've ever had. Ever had. It's 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 a one in a million movie. It's one of those movies that just everything, um, everything works. Everything about it pays off. It it pulls so many cards. Um, it pulls so many tricks. Um, it took risks, and everything for it paid off, and paid off for the better. And to this day, um, it has a massive amount of fans us included it's it's the it's one of the most iconic movies ever made ever period and that is that is a fact jack yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> damn damn i don't know anywho <laughs> damn damn anyway 
we're going to take a quick, quick break. But when we come back, we're going to go on an excellent adventure. We're back, man. Excellent! And we're back, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Now, we talked about one of the most, if not, well, probably actually the most iconic time travel movie of all time. Um, set in the 80s, that's a teen comedy about a kid that wants to be in a rock band. However, we haven't talked about the only 80s teen comedy about... A bunch of teenagers that want to be in a rock band that time travel because we have another one that came out four years later and this one is very different but it's also very iconic in its own right and actually has a trilogy that just finished this year which is insane and it was one of my favorite movies of the year actually um but of course i am talking about the most bodacious most excellent film of all time well, one of them, at least. Uh, and that is, of course, the 1989 classic, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. As the tagline said, history is about to be rewritten by two guys who can't spell. That's us. That's us, dude! <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this one, okay, I, I'll say this, but I was very excited to do this episode because any time you can watch Back to the Future is a good time, but also... I had never, outside of, like, out-of-context clips and, like, GIFs and things like that, I had never seen this movie. I know, like, I've showed Joey a, a whole bunch of different movies this year, as he has shown me, and by far, this is the one I was most excited for him to see. <laughs> like, I know I've said it before, but this one, 110%, is the one I was, because it's so ridiculous, and it's so crazy and weird and like we we're talking about how in the first movie they kind of in back to the future how they have a lot of like crazy and weird ideas this one kind of like amplifies the crazy weird ideas like to 10 and just lets it ride and just keeps going with it like this like there's a lot of things these movies share like for one there is kind of like it's a subplot compared to the back to the future but there's a whole subplot where one of the characters like 
has a weird like crush on his stepmom who happens to be three years <laughs> older than him so, <laughs> so i mean like there's a lot of similarities and so like when we came up with this double feature i was so excited to finally show you a bill and ted movie and now we're here so i need you to start this off joey tell me what tell me what did you think of bill and ted's excellent adventure it was it was excellent and it was quite an adventure it was it was what i expected it to be as well like just just these two these two doofuses you know you know, they're they're well they're generally generally well-meaning at times and they're they're just trying to get by like this this whole movie i, I it feels like 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 because these are guys in high school it feels like when you're like daydreaming in school and you're just like drawing like because i had a lot of like books that were covered by like brown paper bags i would just doodle on my book covers basically just random ass adventures like you know, like abraham lincoln or like oh napoleon like all, all these just random things like what if napoleon went to a water park and you know wanted to, to like just take over the slides and that you know it's just like everything it, it, it's everything and the kitchen sink it feels like with, with this movie. Um, one thing I would definitely, my biggest takeaway too, is that this movie, like we said before with Marty and Doc, this movie works because of our two leads, you know, Bill and Ted. They're perfectly, perfectly cast. And I would hate to see a world where those roles were changed. I mean, Keanu Reeves, first and foremost, I mean, by far the most famous person in this entire movie, outside of probably George Carlin. Keanu Reeves, like, I remember, like, when I first started watching some of his movies, for the longest time, like, it was hard to, like, picture Keanu Reeves outside of this, like, kind of point-break surfer kind of vibe that he's always had, especially when you look at uh, how Bill and Ted plays out, because he talks, at least at least from our modern perspective, like a, a quote-unquote typical 80s California teen, but the truth of the matter was, like, no one talked like that. <laughs> <laughs> and and I and I think like when people saw the movie for the first time, it was a lot like, in a way, how people when they first saw like a Diablo Cody movie like Juno for the first time, and just seeing like Elliot Page talk about all these different like like weird like sayings. Oh, I just hit my mic again. All these weird different like sayings with Michael Sarah, and you're like, uh huh. <laughs> like yeah. But like you're still kind of intrigued by like the dialogue. You're like, this is actually fun. No one talks like this but I like this. And that's a lot in a way is what Bill and Ted feels like. Cause you have all of these like sayings, like, like excellent, bodacious and, and just the, the, the dialect. And so I think in a lot of ways it kind of like put that perspective with Keanu Reeves, um, at least early in his career that he's kind of this type of person, but obviously he's not, he's a great actor. He's played all types of different roles. And it's even funny too. Like, cause when I watched the new one, and seeing him play, like, an older version of Ted, especially post-John Wick. And he, so he's trying to, like, kind of channel that again. It's gone. Like, any of that, like, surfer stuff that he was doing before, that, like, kind of California 80s teen, it is gone. And so, but it still works really well. But, like, when he goes, whoa, in, in the new one, it doesn't, it, ha it doesn't have near the same magic as, like, when he first says it. Mm. But, um... No, oh, he's so he's so good in the movie, and him and Alex Winter, who plays Bill in the movie, who people don't. I'm kind of sad by this, but people don't know Alex Winter near as much, and it's mostly because like he he he's mostly directed a lot of things lately. Oh, really? He's acted a, in a bunch of different things. Like the only other thing I can think of is that he was one of the vampires in Lost Boys. 
Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think he might have died. He was probably one of the ones that died first. I don't remember. But um, he was. He, I know he was in that movie, and he was, of course, Bill and Bill and Ted. Um, but he also directed a lot of things. And it's admittedly, some of the stuff he's directed, um, you know, might not necessarily be like in anyone's top list of movies. Like he did the Smosh movie. He did mm-hmm. the live action Ben 10 movie. I think the first one. But he's also, not to say he's a bad director, he's also directed some things that I do like, but that's probably part of the reason why you haven't seen him near as much as Keanu Reeves, is that he just hasn't been acting as much as Keanu. But those two together, like the chemistry that they have, and how they were cast is actually funny, because when they they both went into... get these roles you know they were just one of like a bunch of different people um probably a key note person that we i was reading an article that i read to you yesterday um was that uh Polly shore wanted to be in the movie thank god he's not mm-hmm. but he wanted to be in the movie though i admit i do like saying hey buddy or uh shadow is it <laughs> from the goofy movie but there were so many people that came into audition for the for those two characters but um, the everyone involved just loved the chemistry that Keanu and Alex Winter already had. And so they were like, these guys are kind of perfect. So, I mean, and it show it shows 110% on screen. Like, yeah, these, the, there's a lot about these characters that feel so, somewhat like outlandish or, or exact or very exaggerated, but the chemistry at, at its core works perfectly no yeah uh definitely like the, the, it was just literally like two peas in a pod kind of situation with with these two and i think i think one of the things with this movie i see a spider crawling up my wall that's fascinating one of the things with with this movie also is it, it is ve- i i feel like it is very much a comedy you know like the back to the future is of course a comedy but i i also feel like it has like a lot of um a lot of elements that make it more of like the typical, like a Hollywood production. Like you got that third act where, where you're really trying to like beat the clock type of thing. This one, like, yeah, you're trying to beat the clock, but they're going at about it in a very casual way. And <laughs> like, like, like the biggest, like, and, and this is not a knock of the movie. It's just like, but the biggest consequence would be, oh no, they can't form their band. I mean, I know it like the future. I know the future depends a lot on it, but I'm never like taking it seriously. Like, the, oh my gosh, the future! Oh no, what will we do? Because <laughs> like you have like you have you have historical figures being pulled out willy nilly and things like that, and like that's never like a major concern. It's like pulling them out is never a major concern. It's just letting them loose is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, like that's the bit. That's one of the biggest differences, I think, as far as time travel is concerned. Like when you think of so many different time travel movies, all of them have this sense of like, or at least they bring some kind of sense of logic within within whatever it is. Like Back to the Future, you're like, oh, you can't talk to your your past self, or you know, don't try to change this or that because if you do, like, it's going to change the future. It's just not, you know, or like, um, uh, in uh, Avengers Endgame just to talk about a modern example like there was just a ton of stuff in that movie that they had to kind of go over before anyone actually went back in time and you know like you see a lot of time travel movies where the whole shtick is that these characters time travel into the past and have to sneak around just because they have to tiptoe so they're incredibly careful and not change anything in this movie there's 
save for like one particular thing which ends up being less of a of a logic thing that they have to like get past but more of like an assistance for them to help continue the plot like there's no real logic to this movie as far as the time travel like no no one tells them hey you're not allowed to steal historical figures no one says hey you're not allowed to interact with anybody or even talk to your past self literally the first thing that they do when they're first introduced to this concept of time travel is a second time machine shows up and bill and ted uh and they're, as their future selves rush out to go talk to themselves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like the number one rule is do not talk to your past self or do not talk to your future self because something could happen. Uh, Doc Brown says in part two of uh, Back to the Future, you know, like, like the world could implode or you'll just faint. But either way, something bad's going to happen. Whereas this, like, no, like their first thought is like, wow, dude, it's us. We should go talk to ourselves. Yeah! <laughs> and nothing happens. It's just, okay, sure. Oh my god. I would say in a lot of ways, though, it's like kind of like the charm of the movie is that they just kind of don't care about the, 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 the logistics of it. They just go, you know what? Let's do it. I, I, I just, I, I, again, I, I just love, like, the, like, this movie is just, it's just so goofy. The thing, the thing is, like, with Bill and Ted, you could put them in just about any situation and it'll it would be funny or like a lot of these historical figures they put them in like the perfect like especially in the mall sequence where you have all the historical figures at the mall just by themselves and there's a lengthy period of the movie where it's just them doing things so like sigmund freud sigmund freud has a corn dog which that by itself is just <laughs> hilarious <laughs> i'm just waiting i'm just waiting I'm just waiting for that to be like, because you have all these fun profile pics of like different things from movies. I'm waiting for that to be a profile pic. <laughs> is Sigmund Freud with his corn dog in, in any of your social medias? I'm just waiting I, I for it. That's a little, maybe a little too suggestive, honestly, but that's why it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> And, and like you have like jo uh, Joan of Arc doing like the the aerobics. You have you have Genghis Khan in like shoulder pads and a skateboard rolling around hitting people. <laughs> oh, and then Beethoven is like jamming with with with, the, with these like with these new like electric pianos or whatever, and that that's a lot of fun. Uh, then of course uh, the iconic scene of Napoleon uh, Bonaparte discovering the the water park for the first time <laughs> at, at, at water at waterloo which is a nice um a, a nice um reference to actual historical history and you know that's the that's the whole like kind of point and message of the movie like for as goofy as it is like it is saying like you know it is important to know history it's very important and so like i actually like that the movie if there's one thing this movie somewhat takes seriously it's the way that they present a lot of his like the historical aspects of it so like when we first meet all these characters especially the ones in foreign countries like in any other movie they probably would have just been talking like in english so it's like oh we can understand them and yeah that does happen a few times like with sigmund freud he does end up speaking english but anytime we first meet these characters like joan of arc she's she's speaking what french mm. and uh beethoven is speaking his language and just like everybody like feels more or less authentic to their historical time period so i actually i actually kind of appreciate that a little bit and that they they at least took the effort to a little bit um, put forth that these are like historical characters and they tried to keep that somewhat serious because that is the whole point of the movie is that you know you have these two slackers who 
are trying to pass their history report. And so if the history doesn't feel authentic, then it just doesn't work near as well, I think. Right. No, no, for, for sure. One thing I, I also th- th- like to mention, too, is that you were bringing this up, is that like they're they're slackers. They're not stoners. Yes. This is, this is something that Keanu Reeves was adamant about. Uh, in recent interviews when they were talking about the third movie because when there's so many different like great comedy pairings and a couple of them that people think of a lot are like Cheech and Chong or Jay and Silent Bob who both are stoners and in a lot of ways Bill and Ted themselves could be misconstrued as stoners but they don't do drugs at all they just are that goofy naturally (laughs) so they don't need any kind of influence no, you know, and, and it's what's what's funny too is, is that I feel like this, like, you know, yeah, they're, they're not stoners, but I feel like this is like a typical, like a stoner's like movie, <laughs> if that if that makes sense. <laughs> it's 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 definitely a movie that probably was conceived through the influence of of some kind of something. I'm not saying I'm not going to say I'm not going to say that is the case, but I maybe it was involved somehow. Say so I do know that the idea was born out of like improv classes in college with the the two writers Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson, the son of Richard Matheson, by the way, who basically told them you should turn this time travel idea into a movie. So it's funny to think that the dude that wrote I Am Legend uh is why we have a Bill and Ted movie or a, a trilogy of movies to begin with. Yeah, that that is pretty um that is pretty crazy honestly. It's like you can almost say penned by the DNA of Richard Matheson. <laughs> but yeah, like one of the other thing things too with this movie is that it was it was made by by the like uh I have the thing up here, the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, which was founded by Dino De Laurentiis, famous, you know, Italian producer from back in the day produced things like the the King Kong remake. I think he produced Orca as well, if I'm not mistaken. But also, more importantly to our show, you know, not maybe not this week's show, but like he also did Flash Gordon. Right. I think that says a lot because this is just such a like out there, outlandish concept that feels it feels cheaper than those other other ones just in terms of budget and and that that scope. But like. It, it it's still it's still I'm like yeah I can kind of see it and there's even a nice little um, Easter egg in the movie where you go to one of the bedrooms and there's a poster for the iconic poster of King Kong on the on the World Trade Center um, from the '76 film that was of course b- produced by uh, De Laurentiis. The the only the only unfortunate thing is that like they actually filmed I think this movie in '87 and with De Laurentiis I think it was around that time his company went bankrupt if I read correctly well 1989 um it went defunct oh wow um, according to what I'm reading yeah so it was definitely like a bad time to to be making movies with De Laurentiis unfortunately but um and the movie kind of just sat in limbo for a while like they'd filmed it years before and it wasn't until I think 88 or 89 when they finally were given a chance to show the movie to audiences after all this time so like you just have keanu reeves and alex winter just going remember that you know remember that movie we did a couple years ago do you think that's ever going to come out i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but i'm glad that it did honestly and we were talking about um uh the writers for a second there and there's this movie like similar to back to the future this movie has so many lines that i to this day quote consistently and like 
anytime I had to quote the movie to you, because I'm so happy you watched this movie for the first time, um, but anytime I had to, like, quote this movie because it felt relevant or I just wanted to say something from the movie, you know, like, I don't know if you guys do this too, but, like, when you have to do that with uh, someone that you talk to a lot, you have to, like, be like, you have to preface it and just be like, as they said in Bill and Ted, now I can just outright say stuff. And it's just great. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> right. But there are so many. There's so many great lines. One of them, I know, uh, I had. I, I've quoted to you many times before watching the movie uh, when they were like when they were in uh, Bill's room at his house, trying to contemplate, um, you know, like th- what they could do for their project because obviously they're failing history, and so they're thinking of all the different presidents and like George Washington and whatnot. And at one point, Bill goes, or Ted goes, oh, wait, remember Disney World Hall of Presidents? Yeah, what did he say? Welcome to the Hall of Presidents. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, I quote that to you all the time because Disney World reference. Though I don't even know if it's like legit a reference. It just just happens to be something they say in the movie. What's funny about that is that George Washington, I, I don't think until recently, never spoke in the Hall of Presidents. Oh, really? Yeah, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, like, because the only presidents that would ever speak, at least like in the last, like, 30 years, would be, like, the sitting president and Abraham Lincoln. But then when Obama came into office, you had Lincoln and then the current president and George Washington, um, as voiced by David Morse, who played George Washington in the great HBO uh, miniseries, John Adams. What did he say? Welcome to the Hall of Presidents. Thank no, you. he no, he does not say that. But, <laughs> but it, it's great to hear his voice, and that that, that is a it is a funny joke. Um, one of my other favorite scenes too uh, is with with Napoleon when he's hanging out with Deacon, and they're and they're at like the Ziggy Piggy or whatever. They're eating ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And uh, like they like he's a Ziggy Piggy, Ziggy Piggy, Ziggy Piggy. <laughs> <laughs> and they gave him a little badge that he just wore with pride the entire movie is great i also want to talk about the teacher what was the teacher's name in this movie miss his the teacher was mr ryan now mr ryan yeah he no you go ahead you go ahead you, you I've, I've talked a lot so outside of like one element that that's like you know i almost feel like it's almost like a blink and you miss it sort of thing but like outside of one element he actually is is not that unreasonable of a teacher. He's not like when you think of a lot of like eighties movies teachers or any movie teachers really for like comedies, a lot of them are portrayed in this like sort of negative light, this sort of like uh, like sinister villain type situation where they're like, "I hate you, kids." But like the truth is, no teacher that I've ever met. I mean, yeah, I've had bad experiences with teachers in the past. You know, I've had some teachers that were just like tough, aggressive and you know, I've admittedly had some teachers that were mean, but no teacher is out to like ruin anyone's life. No teacher like yeah, they like they struggle enough as it is and they have to like watch after you in a way like they're more or less babysitting you while also trying to teach you stuff and you're not paying attention cuz you're being a little piece of crap. it's a it's a it's a trying it's a trying job you know and i like that i like that the way he's portrayed at least as strictly as far as like the educational side of things you know he's just like look 
look, if you don't pass this thing, I can't help. I'm going to flunk you like that. That's that's what's going to happen, you know, just because you guys just haven't been doing what you're supposed to be doing. And honestly, if the teacher wasn't portrayed again, similar to the history part, if the teacher wasn't portrayed in, in that sort of realistic light, then I also think that the movie would have just not worked as well either because then it just would have been like it's it's him versus the teachers but no it's like the teachers like saying listen you guys you know your subjects you know what you're supposed to do so just just follow the follow the pamphlet and do you have to do an amazing job because i i don't want to see you guys fail and then of course like you were saying there is the one there's there's the one element that uh, again is never explicitly said but it's very much hinted at because I think, and I think this leads into like a character I feel like we have to talk about is the one element of this movie <laughs> that is a make or break for some people. I'm sure. Like I don't like I don't like I'm curious your thoughts on this. Obviously, but there's a character in this movie. I we sort of alluded we sort of mentioned it earlier, but Missy Missy is this very attractive kind of like Barbie esque kind of fun girl that when we first meet her. Um, we are introduced to her, and like when we first see her, right? She looks like any other like teen character in the movie. Like she, she looks like when we first meet her, she could be like best friends with Bill, like the, almost like maybe the third member of like the Bill and Ted, you know, team. Um, so when we first meet her, Bill's like, "Hey, Missy," and then she sternly looks at him, and then it changes immediately when he goes, "I mean, mom." <laughs> And that's when things with that character just go crazy. So, like, from what I from from f- the best way I can describe Missy as a character is that she likes older men, and not just older men. I'm talking like older men. Like, she's got to be at the very least. She has to be at the very least eighteen, obviously. But at the very least, she has to be eighteen. But she's married to bill's father in this movie and bill's father's at the very least mid to late 40s and and that seems to be her demographic and it, and it goes throughout the entire like series of movies so like at one point she marries ted's father and then at one point in the third movie she marries ted's little brother who's an adult now <laughs> by that point so <laughs> that's kind of her shtick and then at one point and this is where again it kind of like sort of changes the 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 feeling for mr ryan a little bit was at one point you know missy's asking them like what are what are you guys uh studying and they go history and she goes mr ryan tell him hi (laughs) 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 i i just need to know what you think of this the missy character specifically there are definitely some funny situations with her but i feel like she's one element that you could take out and like replace with something else and the rest of the movie would be fine functionally speaking yes that's nothing against the actress or anything like that she does a very good job with this with this role there are some very funny moments i i love one of my favorite things is like no like no you i'm not gonna take you to the mall until you do your chores and then like all like the historical figures are like doing chores in the house <laughs> like you have like Beethoven's like wind like cleaning the windows <laughs> and like Genghis Khan's like cleaning the toilet and whatnot. And he's like, "This is great." <laughs> like, yeah, there, there's some there are some really funny moment moments, but it, it's probably my least favorite element of the movie. If I'm being if I'm being honest, it's one of those aspects of the movie that just like again, it's make or break. 
I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a, admittedly it is a really funny kind of running shtick that they do throughout the movies, but at the same time, it's like there's no real reason for it to be there. It just happens to be right. But it does lead to one of my favorite moments in the entire movie, <laughs> admittedly, where so like at the end of the movie, Bill and Ted miraculously set up this like beautifully produced light show kind of stage production. Like literally, again, this movie has no logic, but it but it's fine. So, like, they set up this whole uh, thing, and at one point, uh, they basically give each historical figure a chance to speak and, um, you know, explain how the character relates, how the character was in history, but how the character would feel if they were to exist in modern times, which is the whole point of the uh, project. And at one point, Sigmund Freud actually does a reading of Ted, and, like, you know, connecting him to his like uh like his whole relationship with his father which is also a, th- a running thing throughout these movies um and has a great payoff in the third movie by the way um but uh at one point uh sigmund freud uh offers bill a chance to to take a to 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 take a couch to lie on as sigmund freud says in the movie um and and bill just goes no i just got a minor oedipal complex <laughs> <laughs> And then the best part is they cut to Missy, who's sitting next to Mr. Ryan, um, <laughs> uh, watching the per- watching their uh, project, and she just like she either shrugs it off like she doesn't know what he means, or she just accepts it. She goes, "Okay, like you can interpret it." I mean, I would probably interpret it like she doesn't necessarily know what he means when he says Oedipal complex, but um, it's just it's just a funny like cutaway to like that moment, and you're like, "Wow." <laughs> Yeah, that 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 is that is pretty funny. The big difference between like Marty, like no thinking his mom is hot, but also like knowing that he can't like, and also definitely just not wanting to do anything in that regard. But Bill, like, almost is sort of the opposite. (laughs) Yeah, both of these movies were made. I'm just saying, (laughs) both of these '80s time travel teen comedies were made. I'd like to mention George Carlin briefly. Um, I don't know. We, we, mm. we didn't talk about him too, too much. You know, I think he he's really funny in this, obviously. And I love at the end of the movie when they're playing, and he just looks at the camera. He goes, "You know, what, they, what do you say? They they get better. They do get better." <laughs> <laughs> no, do, like you do not have Back to the Future, or not Back to the Future. Sorry, you do not have Bill and Ted without George Carlin. Rufus is such an important element to these movies. It's it's so unfortunate when you get to that last one. Because he passed away, I, I think, like, before 2010. It was, like, what, 2009, 2008, somewhere around there? It was a long time ago, it feels like. And, I mean, George Carlin is a comedy icon. He's a legend. He's he, he's been, he did comedy his entire life. Even well into his old age, he was still doing stand-up shows. Um, and he was, he he's one of those people that has made some of the most iconic just just talking about George Carlin in general, obviously, but he's made some of the most iconic like jokes and and stand up specials. Like some of my favorites, like obviously the the seven dirty words, the seven curse words that you can't say on television. Um, one of my favorite ones I watch on uh, on YouTube all the time is his thing about stuff. Have you ever seen that? Yes, yes. He's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> if you didn't have any stuff, you wouldn't need a house. You just walk around all the time. <laughs> 
It's like everyone's got a big pile of stuff. And do you ever like realize how uncomfortable it is to be at someone else's house? Because all their stuff is all over the place. There's no room for your stuff. Someone else's shit is on the dresser. And what awful stuff it is. Oh my god. Oh, uh, it's so it's so iconic. But he he being uh in this movie is so important. And I always kind of joke uh because the 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 time travel device that they have is a phone booth. It was going to be a van, but they didn't want it to be too much like Back to the Future, which, you know, funny enough for the show. So they made it a phone booth, but of course, another very iconic time travel uh, time machine, essentially, in pop culture is, of course, the TARDIS, which is also a booth of some sort. It's a police box, but it's still a phone booth, basically. And so um, I always joke that I said this in my letterbox that I'd never want them to do an Americanized version of Doctor Who, mostly because they already did it perfectly in 89 with with, with George Carlin as the Doctor. So, <laughs> so there's no there's really no point in doing it because they already did it and they did it perfectly. But he's he's such an important element to this movie. And it's funny too, like he has such a like he kind of brings like a sort of a heart or like a so, sort of a heart to the movie. And a lot of his thing is that he is kind of like the logic, like exposition kind of character. Like he's similar to Doc Brown, but that you know, a lot of what he says is meant to explain things. But similar to Christopher Lloyd's performance as Doc Brown, he presents a lot of the information in a in a in a fun way. It is more without a doubt, it's definitely more exposition heavy and you feel it compared to doc brown but george carlin makes it work and george carlin is again he's an incredibly important element and you you don't have these movies without him no he he is definitely a very integral piece you know obviously i was mentioned at making allusion to you needed to cast bill and ted perfectly you definitely need needed carlin as rufus to sort of be as like the metaphorical bow that ties it all together you know, but with with both of these movies, I think what we can we could take away from is that time travel, time travel can be explored in a lot of different avenues. You know, whether it's the intensely personal, like in Back to the Future, where you're trying to think, what if if I was like if I was in high school with my parents, would I be friends with them? Which was like the initial like sort of approach that Bob Gale wondered when he saw his parents like high school year his dad's high school yearbook or whatever, or and then. Or it could be, like, just general historical aspects itself, like with the case of the Bill and Ted movies, you know? And they're both supremely funny movies. They're really funny movies, but I I feel like, in a lot of ways, in very different ways. In so many different ways. I mean, these movies share a lot as far as, like, characters and even plots and, and, and a few different things. Um, and even just the fact they're both 80s movies, but at the end of the day, like, these are two very different movies that sort of deal with the same thing. And both of them are, like, I grew up with Back to the Future. Like, it was one of those movies that I watched from the start, and it's always been a part of my life. But, uh, at you know, years later, I actually, funny enough, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I actually saw the sequel, Bogus Journey, before I saw Excellent Adventure. You never told me that. Yeah, because uh, I think it was like late night once. I was just sitting at home. It was during the summer, and I'd seen Bogus Journey show up on, uh, I think, HBO. And I was like, this movie's so weird. Like, 
they like these two characters like it like i didn't know it was a sequel like i just was like oh look it's keanu reeves and like at one point at one point like this happens like i'm trying not to spoil because you've never seen it and i want you to see it but um like so much stuff happens in the movie that i was just like this is super funny but also like kind of like the music's great and also just like everything that they're doing like i'm having so much fun watching this and i think at the same time like i don't know if you remember this but pizza hut was doing some kind of special where if you order a pizza they'll send you a dvd do you remember this i do remember stuff like this yeah i remember yeah 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 so it was like essentially pizza hut was presenting an opportunity to like sit at home watch a movie and eat and eat some pizza and one of the movies that they offered was bill and ted mm. and so i think that was one of like the first times i think i got a dvd for bill and ted was was through that whole pizza hut promotion wow yeah it's kind of fun um <laughs> but years later i think i ended up watching the first one the for the first time ever funny enough as a as uh like on tv because i think it was playing like a rerun on tbs or something and so i watched it because i seen this the, i was like wow i didn't i didn't know this movie exists at all there's a whole franchise of these movies and i was laughing my ass off it was so funny and seeing keanu reeves and, and alex winter who by the way just another quick quick anecdote but alex winter made this movie called freaked that keanu reeves is in and i watched it it was one of those movies similar to back to the future that my aunt or not my aunt but my babysitter had shown me when i was young and it was this super weird movie you'll have to look look up uh pictures of it at some point joey but it's a super super weird movie that alex winter starred and directed in and it had um all these different people like brooke shields was in it randy quaid before he was like or at least before we saw him as the crazy guy he is now uh keanu reeves was in it uh in a bit role but it was the super weird off-kilter movie that haunted me because the imagery stayed in my brain for so long but i never remembered what it was called i never remembered what it was about but it always stayed in my brain it was this like 90s like mtv music video like something that you would probably see on adult swim type movie that you know just haunted me for years and then and then it wasn't until like i think maybe late 2000s or like early 2010s that i just decided to like try to find this and my mom helped me look it up and i found it and i was like this movie haunted me so thank you alex winter for for torturing me by most of my childhood <laughs> but to go back to bill and ted though like just watching that first one even though it was on just broadcast on television like it was still so funny and I, eventually i obviously i had to get like the dvd or something of it later and so i th these movies are very much like a part of me you know and just like i, I love them like yeah th they're not all like as good as the first movie but i still like bogus journey i'll watch all the time face the music i really loved it made me cry at the end admittedly so both both back to the future and bill and ted for being these weird uh somewhat incestual <laughs> 80s teen time travel movies um are just some of my all-time favorite movies ever period and i was glad I, I could share this experience with you not only re-watching an old favorite but also me you know discovering uh bill and ted it was definitely excellent we're we're get we're putting John and Kenny to work for this one. 
<laughs> anyway, folks, uh, you know, I think I think that wraps it up for this week's episode. What are some of your favorite like '80s, like '80s movies, '80s teen comedies, a- a time travel? What are some of your favorite time travel movies? Please let us know. And uh, you know, we're on on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We each have letterboxes. Definitely check us out. Check out the YouTube channel. Uh, if you haven't seen Richard's video on uh, on Dark Man and Spider Man. You know, definitely check that out. But anyway, uh, check us out next week. Have a good night, everyone. Be excellent to each other. Party on, dude. How's it going, listener dudes? Thanks for tuning in to this most excellent episode of Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Don't forget, you must check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And big ups, as always, to the most outstanding musicians this side of San Dimas, John and Kenny Armstrong. Well, we're about to hit the booth. We're heading to a land before the existence of time. You'll hear more about it in the next episode. Anyway, catch you later, dudes! (laughs) 